Hi, I'm Chinny. I'm Astrid. And welcome to It's a Continent, the podcast that decolonizes history one story at a time. So we're here to challenge the common misconception that Africa is a country and essentially appreciate the identity of each nation. Um, and through each episode, we'll be exploring key historical moments which have shaped the continent. Hello, welcome back. This is the final episode of season three. We finally made it here. Yeah, it's it's just gone so quick, as always. As always. This is the final episode. And we find ourselves in the same room. Well, same building at the moment. <laughs> same but, building, yeah. same room, sort of. Yeah, we've taken the time this week to spend some time writing It's a Continent, the book, in this really well-decked out Airbnb. So nice, so nice. We were obsessed with the fireplace in this house. I love the fireplace. I'm literally like a little, <laughs> a little dashing. <laughs> You'll just find me just curled up by the fire. I just don't want to leave it. I love it. I love this place. I am prepared to make an offer on this place. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually. And I will be your lodger. Please. Yeah. Oh, it is incredible. Let's get going. Where's the African Pride this week? Right. This week, we have Jesse Ndaba, the co-founder and managing director of Astrofica Technologies, a company based in South Africa. So her company is a Black-owned satellite technology solutions provider. Oh, I'll say. All of those words. (laughs) And Jessie is one of a few female trailblazers in the African space industry. Interestingly, in an interview, she mentioned that her motivation to kind of pursue a career in space engineering started in high school, where she saw a rocket engine in a textbook and decided, that'll be my next career. That's what I'll do. That's a bit of me, yeah. That's a bit of me. And here she is. So the continent is making investments in satellite development with over $4 billion invested so far. And yeah, we just love to see women pursue careers in STEM and just smashing it because we got to make it to Mars, Jesse. Yeah, we have like, when all the rich people go to Mars, like we can't just be left here on Earth like the rest of the plebs, you know? (laughs) We need to... (laughs) We need to make it over there as well. Get us there, Jesse. So yeah, that's our African pride. Where are we this week? We are taking you guys back to 13th century West Africa to bring you the Mali Empire, which we've received so many messages mm-hmm. asking us to cover the Mali Empire. And here it finally is. We will be learning about its founder, Sundiata Kieta. The Mali Empire was vast and today it would cover some of the following countries. We're talking Mali, Senegal, Guinea, Mauritania, Gambia and Burkina Faso. So it's pretty big. Basically French West Africa. (laughs) Sorry to bring in the colonisers, I'm just... (laughs) Can't help yourself, can you? (laughs) Some of you listening might have heard of the empire's most famous ruler, Mansa Musa. He was an extremely wealthy leader who had amassed a wealth of almost $400 billion. It's pretty big, but we're going to be focusing on its founder. But before we get into the story and how this empire came to be, I just wanted to give you guys a bit of a quick disclaimer. As we're looking at pre-colonial Africa, as always, the references are interesting. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) a reason for this is that 13th century West Africa had an oral tradition. So rather than written tradition we're used to today through books. And so because of that, historical events like the formation of the Mali Empire were memorised by griots. Griots have been described as 
walking encyclopedias. And they were kind of poets, musicians and storytellers who would be assigned to a king, for example. And they would be responsible for retelling their stories. So essentially like a walking biographer, basically. Eventually, as communities moved into written tradition, Sundiata's life story was recorded in the Sundiata epic. But this does mean the accuracy of what has been recorded isn't a hundred percent, especially as these walking encyclopedias, as we refer to them, may have added their own twists and additions to the stories. Because of that, it's definitely a fact that Sundiata founded the Mali Empire, but we don't know that every detail that we'll be sharing with you <laughs> is fully accurate in terms of representing what had actually happened in the 13th century. But basically think of this like playing the game telephone game where, you know, you whisper a sentence into someone's ear, they then pass it on and on. Imagine that being played, but across centuries. Yeah. Some bits are going to get a little bit lost. A little <laughs> bit. But I love that they call it like the Sundiata epic. I love that they call it epics. I love <laughs> epic. It is definitely an epic story. Oh yeah, definitely. Sundiata was the son of Magan Konfata, king of the Mandinka people who were also known as the Malinke or the Mandingo. He ruled the kingdom of Kangaba, which is near the present-day Mali-Guinea border. And before Sindiata came to be, his dad had a wife, Sasuma, with whom he had a son called Dankaran Tuman. And one day, a fortune teller came to the king and foretold him that the heir to the throne had yet to be born, and he would have his child with a woman who looked like a buffalo. So, <laughs> not very flattering yeah. description. Mm -hmm. but just so you know just to put things into context these fortune tellers kind of had as much power and influence as a whatsapp rumor from your favorite auntie or perhaps a dodgy kind of prophecy (laughs) 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 spreading fake news essentially so that's how much of an effect they had so they really believed this and we held on to this and with the fortune tellers words in the back of his mind The king was on the lookout for a woman who looked like a buffalo, who could bear his heir. And obviously his first wife must have been pretty bummed out as it turns out her son wouldn't have actually been the heir after all. So some time passed and one day the two hunters approached the king and with them was a woman who apparently looked like a buffalo. Her name was Sogolon. The king, seeing that Sogolon met the criteria of the fortune teller's prophecy, swiftly married her. So, yeah. (laughs) Imagine. I need this level of fortune telling. Imagine. Just so I'm like, actually, you need to be looking out for a man who looks like this. Yeah. Okay, this is what I'm now. A man who looks like (laughs) a fish. (laughs) It's like, sure, I will. I will watch out for. I will. (laughs) I will watch out for. Yeah. (laughs) They went on to have their first child, and that child was Sindiata. And this was bad news for his first wife, Sasuma, as. Yeah, it did appear that the fortune teller's prophecy was right. She must have been so mad though, just being like, okay, really, are you going to be finding this woman? This is never going to happen. My son's got this in the bag. Wife number one. All of a sudden, this woman turns up and you're like, "Mm, right, what do I do now? Yeah, sorry, the fortune teller said so, so. Yeah, do you know (laughs) what I mean? You've got... You know, your husband is believing them. They're not doing anything else, so. He's out here looking for buffaloes, mate. Like, he's not interested. He's not interested. Ah, there's nothing you can do, do you know what I mean? <laughs> Literally, there is there was no level of surgery at that time anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> can you 
During Sundiata's early years, it quickly became apparent that he had some form of disability as he was developing at a much slower rate than other children of a similar age. And age seven even, he was unable to walk or talk. So the king's first wife saw this as an opportunity to raise her own son's profile by ridiculing Sundiata. So we've got ourselves a petty Betty. Oh, yes. <laughs> but the king's love for Sundiata never wavered. Although he did have concerns that the fortune teller had got it wrong and that Sundiata was not his heir, the fortune teller was like, you know, keep it calm, be patient, because Sundiata was the foretold heir to the throne. And so the king decided to give Sundiata his own griot, as we mentioned, walking encyclopedia. And the king also went on to have a third wife with whom he had a son called Manding Bori, who became great friends with Sundiata. It's unclear how many children the king had with each wife, but it was definitely more than just the three we've just mentioned. So yeah, accuracy is not 100% in this always, so. Yeah, it's quite cool in a sense, because it always reminds me of like, you know, some kind of folklore or like, you know, those sort of tales that are told. Yeah. So even if we know that some things are exaggerated, it's also nice to have these kind of almost mythical like stories, mm. which we don't often see reflected. Definitely. A few years later, the king passed away and Sundiata, still developing at a slow rate, was unable to take the throne. And so the throne went to his half-brother, Dankaran. Dankaran was still relatively young and so his mother, Sasuma, the petty Betty, became custodian of the throne until her son was old enough to become king. But Sasuma, who had developed a lot of jealousy and resentment towards Sundiata and his mother, treated them poorly, which led to them escaping and seeking refuge with the king of Mema, Musa Tunkara. Meanwhile, the Mandinka people were facing a threat from Sumanguru Katu, the ruler of the Susu people of the kingdom of Kanyaga, which today is southwestern Mali. Sumanguru had his eyes set on conquering Kangaba as he looks to expand his own kingdom. This initially proved quite easy to do as both Susuma and her son Dankaran fled the kingdom in fear of Sumanguru and his army. See, she wanted all of this and then she runs away. <laughs> Your ruler, you've got to get your army up, put your boots up and fight. <laughs> she was obviously too shook. Being a ruler in those days was really all about expansion. Yeah. That's one of the things that we're finding when it comes to the pre-colonial empires of the time. It was really about amassing as much land as you possibly could. So that was kind of the theme of the day. Mm. The king of Mema treated Sundiata and his mother like a part of his family and he supported Sundiata as he developed into a man. Whilst in exile... With the help of the king and a part-time blacksmith and wizard. <laughs> cool job. Job sharing, yeah? <laughs> Imagine. I'll just do both of them. Uh. Yeah. Sundiata learned to walk and he became an excellent archer. Hearing of the challenges his people were facing back home, Sundiata built his own army and went into battle with Sumanguru in what's known as the Battle of Kiarana. During the battle, it's believed that Sundiata killed Sumanguru by shooting an arrow which had been poisoned by his part-time blacksmith, part-time wizard. Who is this person? This person, honestly, <laughs> of the two. He's <laughs> like, blacksmith doesn't cover everything, but wizardry just gives me enough money to be able to. So I'll do both, I'll do both. It's a side hustle. Side hustle indeed. The death of Sumanguru saw the end of his kingdom. This victory cemented Sundiata's leadership and he became the Mansa, meaning emperor of the new Mali Empire. This event marks the beginning of the Mali Empire. That was, yeah, a bit of drama, drama. Always dramatic, isn't it, with these pre-colonial stories? 
So Sundiata was now leader and as leader, he was loved by his people and was well respected by other kings who would often use him as an intermediary when they were having issues with other kingdoms. He was also known to hand out quite harsh punishments. So if you stole something, your hand would be cut off. If you lied, you would lose your tongue. And if you decided to be a repeat offender, then death was the only suitable and more permanent punishment. You say more permanent, but how can you get more permanent than death? Now they'll definitely not commit Yeah, that, now they definitely <laughs> will not. You've done it too many times. You've already lost your hand. We've got rid of the tongue, but still you're doing it. Okay, death, death is it. That's it. That's what, that's what you're asking that's for. That's it. Sundiata also valued cultural exchange and diversity. And it's believed that this stemmed from his time growing up with the king of Mema. He sent his children to spend time with kings from other kingdoms and offered them the same opportunity. This is a bit like French exchange and stuff like that then he was basically doing this in the 13th century. Imagine, early doors. That is interesting though, because it's like a very, very early form perhaps of some kind of pan-Africanism sharing type thing, even though obviously pan-Africanism didn't exist at the time. Mm -hmm. But yeah, really interesting to see. Although this society where you get your tongue removed <laughs> for crimes, kind of cements as well, just Often it's depicted that pre-colonial life was some kind of utopia, you know, like Garden of Eden type thing, you yeah. know, just walking around, just eating fruits and whatnot. But actually, punishments could be quite harsh and they were quite strict in their societies as well. Definitely. He was taking no prisoner. He was not messing around. As a leader, Sundiata also made sure to set clear rules on the running of the empire. So he would host a great assembly bringing together representatives from different clans within the kingdom. And so they would come together and discuss laws on different areas from land ownership to crime and punishment. And basically this setup was great, especially because the empire, as we said before, covered so many countries, was home to three large gold mines. And apparently at one point, the empire owned half of the world's gold. They had copper mines, salt supplies, all of which contributed to the empire's wealth. So having and hosting these great assemblies really allowed him to manage this vast empire that he had built. Yeah, it's really good to see like the natural resources as well, which are still there as still well. Still there, like, still there. Isn't it amazing to think that since, you know, these times that we're discussing, they were benefiting from the natural resources. And unfortunately, they have been plundered, but... It's just good to see an example of these West Africans enjoying and actually benefiting off the natural riches of their country. Mm -hmm. And his descendant, Mansa Musa, eventually becomes like the richest man ever. So Sundiata really set them up yeah. in terms of getting it right and putting these plays, these rules, so that they weren't just, you know, just spending for the sake of it, making sure that let's get our ducks in a row. We've got all of these resources. How do we make the most of it to make sure we keep going and have that longevity. So, yeah. Yeah. Can I just... Sorry to bring up colonisers, because you know, this is a pre... <laughs> I don't want to bring... Don't want to bring them in. Don't want to. But <laughs> this is an example, just seeing around how he had a knowledge-sharing experiment happen. Sundiata also was, as we said, having representatives from all clans coming together and discussing laws. Like, if, if this isn't civilization, I, I don't know what it is. So... It's just very clear that they were a very advanced society at this point. And it just shows that self-governance. It does work. It does work. No, definitely. And especially considering that he was just growing the kingdom and would take on more and more areas. Mm. But he still found a way to 
allow them to, in a sense, and maybe this is an assumption to be honest, but like have their own identities and bringing these clans together to then be like, what do we do? Yeah. Well, based on what our research is saying to make sure that they still felt a part of the decision-making process. So gosh, that's a little bit of work lingo coming in. A part of the <laughs> yeah. decision-making process. <laughs> Try to forget that word this week. <laughs> Trying to forget, but imagine. I think it's because, if you're listening to this, it's because we're back tomorrow. So my brain is like, oh my gosh, yeah. all the lingo comes back. From 1230 to 1255, Sundiata ruled and grew his empire. It's unclear how he exactly died. Some say it was a stray arrow during a celebration. You know, classic experience people would have had at the time. You know, some people shoot guns, other people do arrows, you know? We each have (laughs) things happen. Others say it was a natural cause, and the most common tale is that he drowned in a river, but he did pass away in 1255. His story is one of overcoming challenges and using past trauma and experiences as motivation to establish one of the continent's most successful empires. And yeah, that is the story of founding of the Mali Empire. You know what, as we always said about these sort of tales, I always wish that they had some kind of animation or some kind of cartoon series about this. Because yeah, we've got wizards, we've got fortune tellers, we've Got buffaloes, part-time blacksmiths that dabble in magical arts. We've got women that look like buffaloes, apparently. Yeah, yeah, it would be, it would make for really good kind of viewing, wouldn't it? Great content, no, definitely. And I think how the story has been told. Obviously, we've said as it's been passed down, probably certain elements have lost element of accuracy. But I do think how the story has been told up to now what we have now is very much something which is focused on teaching you lessons through it do you not feel like it has an element of like religious undertones for me anyway i feel like kind of religious undertones the kind of the good conquering evil when it comes to the battle and him winning overcoming traumas and adversity yeah allegory yeah definitely but no really good and it's just amazing starting point to find out about the Mali empire because i had no idea that this is how it was set up yeah because we normally hear about mansa musa but we don't usually hear so much about sindiata so yeah it's good to learn about his story definitely so yes that is it i feel like as soon as i say it it's now the end isn't it it's, it's... <laughs> yes this is the end of season three eight episodes later bonus episode later yeah. we did it we are going to be taking a break to write plan season four which we started already we started we've got some good suggestions already yeah definitely so make sure you do keep them coming we have kind of we were looking through the seasons one suggestions and we did cover pretty much all of them i think mm. in a roundabout way and yeah so make sure that you come with us with kind of topics you want us to see cover collaborations you want to see us do just everything and anything and as always look out for our end of season competition as well we're doing something a little different this season so keep an eye out keep your eyes peeled make sure you're following us on instagram it's a continent pod and twitter at it's a continent also a shout out to a mensa who bought us a coffee on bias coffee if you're interested in supporting us via that means have a look in the episode show notes also check out our website it's to find out when we're back and watch out for an exciting bonus episode coming your way amazing also yeah don't forget to leave us a review i wish other platforms did reviews but whichever platform you're using 
yeah see if it lets you leave a review and leave one why not love it so yeah we will see you guys very soon just keep an eye out and we'll let you know when we are back all right thanks everyone bye 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 everyone